Well, as always, it is wonderful to see so many of you here this morning, and uh, what a joy uh, and privilege to be able again to gather together to worship, uh, and we'll continue doing that as we open God's Word together this morning. We are going to be in 1 John chapter 5. Uh, we'll get there in just a moment. Um, you know, I was thinking through how things change a little bit, uh, not a little bit, a lot, when uh, you get married after being single and when you add children into the mix uh, from the time that you were single. One of the major ways I know things change uh, when you have children and when you get married is your packing habits change when you go on vacation. I remember when I was in college, uh, if I was going to go to the beach with some friends or we were going to go do a trip, uh, I just needed to in a matter of moments, throw a couple things in a bag, and I was on my way, and everything would be great. I remember getting married and packing for our first trip together, and my wife brought out this massive suitcase. And I was like, what is that for? She's like, it's for our trip. I'm like, we're going to be on for two days. And, and, and I got to see all of the necessities that were going to be packed for a two-day trip. Uh, we recently took a vacation this summer where we were gone for a week, and now with four children, we were packing, and uh, I said, listen, I said, I just want us to pack what we really need because I don't want the van to just be overflowing with stuff. And so I gave that kind of commanding order, right, just the necessities here. <laughs> and so I went out to the van to start packing everything. I told you, I bring your stuff down, and it just kept coming. And if you were driving the van, you look at the back, you're like, Where, how long are we going to be gone for with all this stuff? Uh, I almost brought in, I, I almost brought in just this, uh, like a toiletry bag, you know, I don't know, with a shaving kit bag, you know what I'm talking about, those little, they're about this big for men, and, and I, I would need, you know, soap, a toothbrush and toothpaste, maybe a razor, and deodorant. All right, that's what I need. Uh, sometimes hair gel. But I, I would put, <laughs> kidding, used to, used to. But I need like four things, right? In the shower, I, I have one thing in the shower, and it's like a combination like hair and body wash because I don't need specialty shampoo. And, and I have one bottle, and I, I get in the shower, and I'm knocking stuff all over the place because there's stuff everywhere, right? Um, it is easy, it is easy to think that we need more than we really do, isn't it? Even when it comes to the necessities, quote unquote, the necessities. Uh, when we think of essentials, what are the essentials that you need for a trip or for your daily routine? What are the essentials that you just can't do without? Uh, it could get uh, very long, that list, depending on who we ask, right? You know, the same thing is true when it comes to our relationship with Christ. The same thing is true when it comes to following Jesus. If we were to ask everyone, hey, what are the essentials that you need in your life if you are going to rightly follow Jesus? If you are going to grow in your relationship with Christ, what are just the essentials? That's what we want to talk about in this series, four weeks, that we've entitled Essentials. Four really essentials that if we want to grow in our relationship with Christ, 
If we want to grow as followers of Jesus, we want to encourage you, church, in the next four weeks together that we would value these four essentials. You know, and, and there are so many that could make the list of what's important in our relationship with Christ, but we want to talk about four very important ones. And I think similarly, the Apostle Paul sought to do this even when he was talking about the gospel. And depending on who you ask, what is the gospel, what does it mean to the good news of Jesus, and what all needs to be incorporated into the gospel, there are many things that many people would say as absolute necessities within the gospel. And, and Paul uh, really summarizes that in 1 Corinthians 15. We've talked about this when he says, uh, the gospel that I declared to you is this, that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to uh, witnesses after he was resurrected from the grave. What we want to do is, is something similar when it comes to this Christian life that we seek to live. This following of Jesus is these four essentials. And the first that we want to talk about this morning is prayer. Prayer. And, and we have not done this in any particular order. Order, although we have landed on a fantastic essential to begin with here when we talk about prayer. And so we want to look at in 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. John is writing and he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Back in verse 12, one verse prior, he says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let me just pause there for just a moment because we're talking about prayer this morning. And specifically, we are talking about prayer as an absolute essential, a necessity for the believer in Jesus Christ. You may be here today and you would say, well, how do I know? Am I a believer in Jesus Christ? Well, this is what John said in verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. If you know Christ as Savior, if he is your Savior, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, you have life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you're here today and you've not confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you've not believed, truly believed in your heart that he is Savior, that he is God. If you've not confessed your own sin, recognizing the need for forgiveness from him, if you've not trusted in his finished work, the Bible says you do not have life. And that's true for everyone in this room. But those that do believe and do know Jesus and those that do believe in his son have life. And so John's writing to those individuals and he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God. And so listen, if you're here today and you believe in the name of the only begotten son of God, say amen. amen. So you're here today and John's instruction that he's given here is to those that have believed in the name of the son of God. And so as we read this this morning, this is absolutely essential for us because we gather together today in the name of Christ because he is our Savior. He is our God. We've believed in him. And so he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And what follows in the next couple verses is John's instruction 
regarding prayer. And he says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Listen, I want to read this. I'm going to start back again. I'm just going to rewind and read this again. And here's what I would love for today. If, If when I read this, God's word, and I come to the end of a sentence If you believe that, if you're encouraged by that, if you are in agreement with that, would you say amen when I I read this? (laughs) That's great. Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's hard. And yet that is the truth of God's word. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Isn't that absolutely incredible? As we read God's word this morning, and as we contemplate and think about this matter of prayer. This morning, I want to point out to us quickly five truths regarding prayer, and then challenge us with five actions to take as we go from here regarding prayer. Five truths, and then five challenges to follow. Number one, prayer for the believer in Christ is an absolute necessity. Prayer for the believer in Christ is an absolute necessity. The question is not, should we pray? Because we already know the answer to that. The question is not, should we pray? But the question is, are you praying? Not, should you pray, but are you praying? In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, Jesus is going to give instruction about prayer. He's going to give instruction about prayer, and I want you to just to look at this as I read this passage in Matthew 6. I want to read verses 5 through 15. I think it's important to read all of these verses because I want you to notice Jesus' attitude regarding prayer and the believer and the necessity of prayer. Because Jesus is not going to say in these verses, if you pray. He's going to say, when you pray. When you pray. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 5, Jesus is speaking and he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you see this again and again? And when you pray, and when you pray, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus is giving instruction on prayer, and the question or challenge is not if you pray or should you pray, but Jesus says it four different times in these verses. When you pray, when you pray, when you pray, pray then like this. Prayer is an absolute necessity for the believer in Jesus Christ. It's an absolute necessity. In 1 John chapter 5, the passage before us this morning, John sets up these verses by giving this instruction that if you know Christ, if you have the Son, you have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It's the mark of a believer in Jesus Christ that we pray, knowing that our God hears us. Let me ask a question this morning. If you truly believe in God, if you truly believe in the creator God of the universe, the one who made heaven and earth, if you believe in the one alone that is holy, that is all-powerful, that is all-knowing, that is everlasting to everlasting, if you truly believe, if I truly believe in that God, and I have confidence from the word of God that when I pray as his child, when you pray as his child, he hears you and he will answer you. How can we not pray to our God? How can we keep anything within us? How can we not bear out to our God at all times? our hearts and our minds because he knows, he cares, he loves, and he hears. Prayer is an absolute necessity for the believer in Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16, Jesus is going about his ministry. It says, in these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. How many times do we read in the Gospels that Jesus was praying or he was calling on his disciples to pray or Jesus went aside by himself to pray? But this is what I find so amazing in, in, in this passage in Luke 6. Jesus is about to, to call from his disciples and choose 12 of them who he would name apostles. That's a big deal. Okay, that's a big decision. Have you ever mauled over a decision like at night where like you had to make a big decision in the morning and you were like, man, I got to, I got to go through everything. I mean, you're looking at every detail because of a major decision that has to be made. And so you spend, maybe you're up, you can't even sleep that night because you're going through everything because the decision has to be made and you're hoping that the next day, the next morning, you have clarity. You're hoping the next day it's crystal clear what you should do. Jesus is going to choose from his disciples 12 apostles that he's going to appoint. They're going to be with him. They're going to, to see him. They're going to witness these things. He's ultimately 11 of the 12 going to send out uh, as far as the establishing of the church and empower them and they're going to see the resurrected Christ and they're going to be transformed by that and he's going to choose from the disciples the many disciples he had 12 and in Luke chapter 6 it says in these days he went out to the mountain to pray and listen to what it says and all night he continued in prayer to God think of this this is the son of God this is this is 
the one that John wrote in John chapter 1, by him were all things created. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him is life. This is the Son of God, the Word of God made flesh, who had authority and power as none would ever have and could ever witness again. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And here he is, the night before, he's about to appoint the 12 from the disciples that are amongst him. Amongst him. And it says that he went to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. Do you think Jesus valued prayer as an absolute necessity? Absolutely he did. And you and I as children of God today, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, must understand that prayer is not optional for the believer in Jesus Christ that wants to grow and know him. It's essential. It's essential. It is not something that you can just cut out of your life as a believer and expect to be growing in Christ. It's essential. Number two, prayer for the believer in Christ should be participated in with great confidence. Prayer for the believer in Christ should be participated in with great confidence. In verses 14 and 15 of 1 John 5, John says, This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the request that we have asked of him. Prayer for the believer in Christ should be participated in with great confidence. He hears us, and we know that he hears us. So we may approach with great confidence. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, the writer of Hebrews says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The writer of Hebrews echoes what John has shared with us in 1 John 5, that we should approach the throne of God. We should approach God in prayer through his son, Jesus Christ, with great confidence because we know that our God hears and he will answer. See, sometimes aren't we guilty of going to God in prayer and acting almost as though he doesn't even know us? We're not expecting much when we go to God in prayer. We're not really anticipating much when we go to God in prayer. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, man, I, you don't even understand. I am such a sinner that to approach God in prayer, I, I'm, I have so much sin in my life. Can I remind you that it was when we were dead in our sins that Christ died for us? Can I remind you that God fully knows and is aware of all of your past, present, and future sin, and yet he still loves you as his child? 
He says we can approach with confidence. I remember playing baseball, and I had a friend whose dad was the coach, baseball coach. And uh, whenever our team wanted to ask the coach to do something that we didn't necessarily think he would listen to us to do, we would go to his son and say, hey, go ask your dad to whatever. Because we thought, well, he'll listen to his son, right? And so whatever it was, like if we didn't want to like run at practice or we didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to do something. We didn't want to constantly do like base running drills. I used to hate those where we just ran, like the whole practice running base running drills. I was like, can we just bat? Like can we just like have a home run derby? Like can we do that? But at practice when you had to do base running drills, like do we really have to do that? So we'd be like, hey, ask your dad just to like knock off the base running drill. We would ask his son to approach his dad because they had a relationship with him that we did not have. Listen, you and I, through relationship with Jesus Christ, are children of God. We are not approaching a stranger. We are not approaching someone who is far off from us. We are approaching our heavenly Father in prayer. And John says this is the confidence that we have. That we know that when we ask of him, when we pray to him, when we petition him in confidence according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. And so prayer for the believer in Christ should be participated in with great confidence. In Philippians chapter 4, 4 to 7, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, too often, too many believers look at prayer as something to be worried about. Prayer is something that should calm our anxieties and worries, not something that we should be worried about. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're a believer in Christ and you are living in sin, confess your sin to God. Ask for forgiveness. Turn from that sin. Do not allow, because the word of God says, because of sin, our prayers will be hindered. Confess your sins to God, knowing he hears and will forgive But the the, the reality that Paul lays out in Philippians chapter 4 is that prayer is something that we should be going to God when we are anxious, when we are concerned, when we are worried. And it's by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Listen, even in the midst of that anxiousness and that worry and even in the midst of hardship, we go to God in prayer and with supplication but with thanksgiving. Letting our requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which we can't even fully understand, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ because we know that our God hears us. He's invited us to pray. He's called us to pray. And so we pray. We pray because it's an absolute essential. It's a necessity. We pray with confidence because he's called us to do that. And we know he hears us and we know he answers. We know he answers. 1 Peter 3.12 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open 
to their prayer. Just think about that for a moment. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Isn't that absolutely incredible? You ever been to the bank going through the drive through line and there's lines and there's certain ones that say that they are closed. Like you can't go through that line or you're in a grocery store and there's lines of people and there's only like three cash registers open and there's about 15 not open cash registers, right? And everybody's standing in line and everybody's thinking the exact same thing. Why don't they open more cash registers, right? That's what everybody's thinking when they're staying in this long line. And then something magical happens. People are standing there and they're waiting and they're looking. And then all of a sudden, ding, like a light goes on in one of the cash registers. And someone says, I can help someone at number six, right? They say that. And everybody like looks at each other like, well, who's going to go? Like everybody wants to make a mad dash for aisle number six. And you leave the line. This is what I always do. I leave the line I'm in to get in the wrong line because it's going to take longer. Am I the only one? Or does everybody have that happen? Okay. But, but everybody's just kind of waiting. Everybody's waiting because there's 15 lines that aren't open and only three. You're thinking, who's the manager here? That's what you're thinking, right? <laughs> waiting and anticipating. Listen, here's what's sad for the believer in Christ, if I can paint this picture for us. All the lines are open all the time. Amen. And yet, we're refusing to go to our God in prayer. There's no waiting for that light to turn on. It's on. He's available. (laughs) His eyes are on, the righteous, Peter says, and his ears are open to their prayer. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Peter finishes this verse, though, by saying, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Do you understand this morning, church, the privilege that we have as believers in Christ who have been made alive to go to our God in prayer? Because he hears us. He knows us. Number three, Prayer for the believer in Christ should be for God's glory and according to his will. I think this is where we really struggle. Prayer for the believer in Christ should be for God's glory and according to his will. In verse 14, John says, this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, again, according to his will... We know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Prayer for the believer in Christ should be for God's glory and according to his will. Jesus in Luke chapter 22, just prior to his arrest on the Mount of Olives, is there and he's there and he is praying. And he says to his disciples, pray that you do not enter into temptation. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. 
I think the, the reality of the humanity of Jesus Christ and the deity of Jesus Christ, we see all throughout his earthly ministry, fully God, fully man. We can't fully process that. But here Jesus is praying to the Father prior to his arrest and crucifixion, which would be absolutely brutal. It would be absolutely brutal. And he's praying to his Father in heaven and saying, Father, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but your will be done, he says. Jesus modeled for us how to pray, the motivation in our prayer, the desire in his prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. In Matthew chapter 6, 9 and 10, again, we already looked at it. Jesus is sharing how to pray. And he says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are oftentimes so guilty of praying according to our will or our glory or our desires. And then when God doesn't answer the way that we want him to answer, we just get all bent out of shape. We get all bent out of shape thinking, how could the God of the universe who has all power, all knowledge, all authority, knows me better than I know myself, not give me what I want? (laughs) Isn't that what we say? Isn't that what we say? Prayer for the believer in Christ should be for God's glory and according to his will. Jesus modeled this. He commanded this. And it's what we need to embrace. Number four, prayer for the believer in Christ should be participated in with great expectation. Verse 15, John says, if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know we have the request we've asked for. We should be praying with great expectation that God is going to answer our prayer perfectly according to his will. We should have the expectation that God, every time we pray, will answer. Not necessarily the way we want him to, but doesn't he know better than we do? When we pray for God's will to be done and not our own, when we pray for God's glory to be increased and not our own, when we pray in accordance with his word and his will, when we pray confidently in and through Christ for whatever we ask, According to his will and for his glory, we can have confident expectation that he will hear and he will answer every time. Let me say that again. When we pray confidently in and through Christ for whatever we ask, according to his will and for his glory, we can have confident expectation that he will hear and he will answer every time. We don't command God what he is to do. We don't tell God what is best for us. We don't command God to give us this or give us that. We don't just claim something and God makes it to be so. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is dependence upon our God. It's an acknowledgement of our God. It's an acknowledgement that God can and will every time answer in accordance with his will. That he is glorified and not ourselves. He hears us and he answers. No doubt some are wondering in the room today and you're asking, well, why then hasn't God answered my prayers? Why would it seem so many times I've prayed and God is silent? I've heard that so many times and you're not alone in that. There are so many times that I feel, God, I'm I'm praying and I'm petitioning and I'm asking and it would seem as though God is not 
answering, and yet he is. He is. He is in accordance with his will, and I have to trust that God knows better than I do what I need and what is going to be for his glory. He just knows better, and he can be trusted. I can't speak to every situation, every sickness, every unexpected death, every tragedy, every need that is represented in this room. But if you are struggling today to try to understand and try to figure out the answers or lack thereof that God is giving to your prayers, may I encourage you not to focus on what you seem to think is a lack of answers, but focus on the one that you're praying to and what you know to be true of him. That he cares for you as his child. That he loves you as his child. That he wants what is going to be for your good and his glory as his child. That he hears you and he answers you in accordance with his will every time. He's promised when we pray, he will answer. They may not always be the answers we're hoping for. They may not always be the answers of what we would prefer. But let's be honest. Our thoughts are not always God's thoughts. Our ways are not always God's ways. Our desires are not always God's desires. I think we've all proven by our track record we're wrong much of the time. But he never is. He never is. Number five, prayer for the believer in Christ is essential for spiritual growth and maturity. I want to remind us again the words of Jesus, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, not if, when. It's absolutely essential. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of dependence. It's a matter of testimony that our trust, our confidence and stability is in the Lord. Jesus would give a parable in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, of the persistent widow. And it says, as an introduction to this parable, he told them a parable to the effect that they always ought to pray and not lose heart. Think of this. Jesus is going to give this parable of the persistent widow, and he's going to give it, and Luke prefaces the parable by saying he told them the parable to the effect that they always ought to pray and not lose heart. Isn't that comforting? That Jesus knew that there would come a time when even his disciples, even the apostles may lose heart in prayer. But he told them this parable so that they might not lose heart, but that they always ought to pray. So too you and I. We're out of time. I was just getting going here, but we're out of time. But let me give you five quick actions. You can take a picture. They're going to all be up there. Throw them all up there. You can take a picture if you want. Write them down. Actions on prayer. These are quick. Can I just encourage you? Pray daily. Pray daily. Don't put it off. The light's on. The aisle's open. Pray daily. Number two, give thanksgiving to God daily. Do you realize when you're giving thanks to God, you're praying? Give thanks to God daily. You're like, well, I don't have anything to be thankful for. Yes, you do. Come on. Yes, you do. The clothes on your back, the food or water that you drank, the health that you have, 
the ability even to think that you don't have anything to be thankful for. Give thanksgiving daily. Number three, study scripture on prayer. Study scripture on prayer. Say, I don't understand prayer. I don't understand. Study the word of God on prayer. See what he says. See what he promises. Grow your knowledge and understanding of prayer from the word of God. Number four, gather requests from other people. You want to pray? Start asking people, how can I pray for you? You'll start praying more. Ask people how you can pray for them. Gather requests on prayer. Pray for others. And then follow up on those requests because you're going to find you're going to have great joy when you hear how God is answering the prayers that you're giving to him. So gather from others requests, pray, and then follow up and give God thanks and glory for what he does and has done. Pray. Take these with us today. Might we put them into practice? Might we understand prayer is an absolute essential for us as believers in Christ? Father, we thank you that even today you hear our prayer. Your light is always on. Your door is always open. We thank you. I pray that we with great confidence and expectation, Lord, would be about your glory and your will in our prayers. That we would be vulnerable before you, our almighty God. That we would trust you and have our confidence in you. That we might serve you well. Help us to be people that pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.